The presenting sponsor for On Education is Classcraft. We're excited to announce Classcraft's new story mode, which makes it easy for educators to harness the power of stories. Episodes 1 and 2 of Season 1 are ready for you and your students to play today, and it's completely free. To learn more about Classcraft and the new story mode, simply visit classcraft.com slash oneducation. Dude, I'm coming in for a hug, and I don't care. Welcome to On Education, part of the Education Podcast Network. I'm Mike Washburn. And I'm Glenn Irvin. Friends, we have an awesome pod for you today. This week, we're going to discuss whether there's an overemphasis on preparing our students for those jobs that don't exist yet. On this week's segment of The Best, we'll run down some of our best gifts for learning at home and with your family. And our guest this week is educator and author, Rochelle Poth. Let's see if I know how to do this. All right, you're back. It's like getting, it's like getting on a, it's like getting on a bike. Apparently, yeah. yes. You don't forget. <laughs> We've been okay. We did the interview already, and I didn't screw up anything. So, I think we're all right. We're- uh, so yeah, um, we should start with updates. We got lots yes. of lots going on. It's like you know we're back, and there's no no rest. No. Nope. Um, so Impact Education Conference is starts this week. I know this weekend we're getting super excited to be able to go and uh, meet all of you guys. Make sure you come by the booth. And if you haven't registered for the conference, they can still do that, right, Mike? Yeah, I I have no doubt that they can still register for the conference. You can probably still even register for our podcasting workshop. By the time you hear this, you'll only have a a day or three to to register. But it's seventy five bucks. You get to spend the whole afternoon with Glenn and I talking about how to podcast in your classroom. You will literally leave with a podcast. Well, we're gonna demand we're gonna demand that you leave with a podcast, and we'll kind of set you up with the the means to do all of that. So yes. hopefully you come and join us uh, for the workshop if you're coming. Um, we also um, are working with one of our uh, sponsors, Fidgets, um, on a high school educators giveaway. They're giving away their sensor kits. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're going to get about 100 of them. Ooh. So if you come by the booth, you talk to our, our friend Connor, who's going to be working with us. He's going to show you how to subscribe to the podcast and sign up for our mailing list. And when you do all that, you're going to get something for free. Hmm, man, I how love bad it. Can, how bad can that be? You get to listen to the best damn podcast in the world, and you get you get some cool geeky electronics at the same time. I mean, Gosh. that's a that's a win win win. Everybody, holy that crap! Triple win, baby! Right, man. <laughs> um, we're gonna start talking about FETC um, a little bit more now that yes. we're kind of gear, gearing up for that. And I guess one of the things to put on everybody's radar is the um, the cool Epic Games, FETC Epic Games party that um, is being kind of hosted by Steve Isaacs and, and myself um, related to Unreal Engine and, and more probably more relevant Fortnite in education. There is so much stuff going on with Fortnite. I can't share even half of the stuff that's happening, but uh, a lot of cool stuff is happening. There's a giant contest happening right now with a $25,000 award for writing, uh, basically writing a lesson Lesson plan. (laughs) I mean, it seems like you guys know how to do some of that stuff. So, so 
Come Man. on, people. Write up Do some it. lesson plans. Take a look um, through either Steve's Twitter feed or my Twitter feed. Uh, or, frankly, a, a lot of people have been sharing it, but the contest details, we'll put them in the show notes as well. Um, but um, we're going to also put the Eventbrite um, link to this Epic Games Educator Network um, party that's being hosted. There are very limited spots left. I believe mm. it was full at one point, um, which is, I mean, first off, that's amazing. Sold out. Sold out. <laughs> um, but I believe that we were able to convince them to open it up for mm-hmm. a few more spots. So I don't know what the status is now, but at some point, you know, we opened up some spots. And so, you know, come to the part. If you're coming to FETC, this is going to be the place to be, at yes. least on Thursday night. It's uh, Thursday, January 16th, 530 till 830. Man, be there. Cool. Miami. Miami. Miami Ooh. Beach. Oh, my god. Listen, goodness. guys, we're going to talk this about video games on Miami Beach. It's, it can't get There's, much better that, than that. It's going to be cool. The ultimate nerd uh, right. <laughs> experience. That's what it should be called in quotes. <laughs> so, Mike, I was Hi. thinking about this. You're back, and you're yeah. back from one of the places in the world where, I mean, talk about a go-to destination, you know, bucket mm-hmm. list destination, China. Mm. So I was like, okay, I got to ask him some questions. Like kind of, uh, what did you do kind of recap? And then, you know, tell us kind of what was your favorite things that you saw or you did or whatever might be your, your experiences or whatever sure. might be. Um, and then I want to talk about, because I saw some of your Twitter posts <laughs> about food and drink. Um, oh, man. And, and then, uh, and then obviously telling us whether or not you uh, you would recommend to us that you would go, that we should go there or, sure. you know, all those kinds of things. So start okay. off with what did you do? All right. Um, the main purpose of the trip was to visit with um, one of the companies that we deal with, MakeBlock. Um, they are probably the largest in terms of like capital investment, in terms of like value of the company. They're the largest educational robotics company in the world, um, and we deal with them exclusively in Canada. So um, they're they're big, and they 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 basically um, we were there for two things related to MakeBlock. Um, they they run what's called MakeX. It's a global robotics competition. It's very popular. So think like first Lego League. Um, so so similar to that in the sense that there's an arena and it's it's mainly it's it's kids um, yeah. and it's it's very glitzy and it's a thing. It's a big thing. Um, it's very popular in Europe and in South America. It's only really not popular in North America, and mm. that basically speaks to the dominance of first uh, and how popular the first Lego League is. That that MakeX hasn't broken through, but we're we're learning more about it and um, hopefully at least bringing it to Canada um, next year. So so we we went there to watch. I, I got to watch the finals, the global, the world championship finals of the um, uh, of the MakeX competition from the uh, arena floor. So first off, it's the finals were held in an arena. Hmm. So about the size of like a, this is going to be hard. I don't know what the comparison is in the United States, but like a junior hockey arena in Ontario okay. seats about 5,000 people or 5, so. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. it was in a, like basically the size of a junior hockey arena. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't totally full, but there was, it was, 
there was a decent amount of people there. And so we were on the floor, though, um, which was super cool. And actually, if you go on my Twitter account and go to, I, I think there's a place where you can go to, like, videos. I periscoped most of the finals mm. um so you can see how kind of What's cool it was cool it was to be there it was like about a 45 minute periscope um that might be worth checking out because it was it was pretty neat to see like the television interviews and like the boom cameras and like there was lights and lasers and like a yeah. huge screen that it was all like there was <laughs> color color commentary and like and, cool. and, and like play by play um it was wild so so that was um that was kind of the main reason we were there. And then um, Make Block had their, their global kind of um, distributors conference. It was like a one-day set of meetings. And, and, and Rami uh, Gaddis, our, the, the owner of Logics Academy, did a little speech. And we actually won an award, um, mm. which we weren't seeing. We didn't know was happening at all. Um, but we won Make Block's um, best stem global stem solutions provider which is you know that's a pretty big deal i mean they awesome. have distributors all over the world all and the world. they consider us the best so um that was pretty rad i mean we won a they they gave us a a cash award and we got a pretty sweet trophy and it was pretty neat so we we met with a bunch of uh, other folks um partners companies people we don't deal with people we do deal with um and it was so so it was it was definitely a work trip there wasn't a lot of sightseeing um and kind of that's what what we were there for for sure yeah so as you were as you got to experience any part cuz you landed in hong kong and then you went to mainland china yeah what was what were some of your favorite parts cuz i mean that's got to be a crazy immersive experience yeah so um it's hard to verbally explain how absolutely massive some of these cities are. Mm. Um, I've tried to, like, for everyone out there, like, especially if you haven't been, um, imagine the biggest city you've ever seen. Most people will say something like New York City or L.A. Mm -hmm. um, and, and some people would say, like, Toronto. So the the in, even even L.A. is, is pretty um, relatable in this, but I'll talk about Toronto. So in Toronto... Uh, there's the CN Tower, which is huge. Uh, and then there's probably about three or four skyscrapers that are about 100 floors high, which is a very tall building. Like, that's that's tall. And then there's about five or six, maybe, that are about 80 floors high. And then and then kind of the rest are in, the, like, the 60 floors high. And that's kind of similar to most urban cities that even I've been to mm. um, there's 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 the four or five standout towers and then there's there's uh, some mid-range and then most but think about that core that core of buildings that are that are are big and stretch that as far as you can see in every direction mm. like literally as far as your horizon will go and that's what um, Guangzhou and Shenzhen look like Wow. Like when you look out the window, all you see is eighty floor skyscrapers <laughs> in every every so direction. Intimidating. Yes. Every direction. It is a monolith of a city. Mm. Um, that is, it's the it's 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 beautiful in its weird weird sort of way. It's absolutely stunning to look mm. at. We arrived in Shenzhen our first night um, very late, much later than we were expecting. Um, uh, 
customs, going through Chinese customs is crazy and scary and intimidating even, Mm -hmm. for lack of better words. Not fun at all. (laughs) But once you're you're through, it's like big sigh of relief. And then, okay, we're here and everything is fine. We're not going to get arrested anymore. Um, (laughs) But but when we got, we finally got to the, the first, the first night to the hotel we stayed at and you, I, the, the hotel didn't start until the 23rd floor. So like, there were 23 floors before the 50 floor hotel that we were staying in. So I was on like the 60 some odd floor. Hmm. Um, and, and I opened I, these giant windows and looked outside and I just, I just was breathless almost. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Like, it's just, like I said, as far as you can see 80 floor buildings, hmm. as far as the, Crazy. as far as you can find, and they're all lit up like in with like giant like Chinese lettering on the sides, lots of like, it's like that, that core of Manhattan that you, you think of with like the signage and like the billboards mm-hmm. and stuff. It's a lot like that, um, but everywhere. And mm. again, on all of these buildings, it was, uh, I've taken, I take, I shared a couple of pictures of it. Um, it's absolutely stunning. So by far my favorite part of the week and a half or so that I was in China was we did a, on, on the second night we were in Guangzhou, which is just a, just a bit North of Shenzhen. So, so there's Hong Kong and then Shenzhen is just across the river. So mm. we didn't even actually go into Hong Kong, the city at all. We stayed in the Hong Kong airport. You take a ferry, um, from Hong Kong and it goes kind of around a couple islands and, and right into Shenzhen. So you're in mainland China and you don't even leave the airport. Um, so, and then Shenzhen is right, right in the, at the bottom, right across the river from Hong Kong. And then you drive about an hour north to, to Guangzhou. We took a bullet train. So I've never taken like a high speed rail train before. It was about, um, so it took about 25 minutes to take what would normally be about an hour and a half drive or so. And it was fast. Like it was exactly what you think it would be. It was incredibly fast and everything just flies by and you you don't even realize what you're looking at sometimes. Crazy. Um, So, but the, the second or third night in Guangzhou, we went right into the city. So we were on the outskirts at a, at a pretty nice hotel on the outskirts, but we went into the city and again, it's one of these like absolutely massive cities, skyscrapers, as far as you can see, but there was something like so Shenzhen is like the tech ca- it's like the silicon valley of of Asia. Yeah. Um so it's very high tech. The 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 buildings are all very new because Shenzhen was like a little fishing village in the 1980s. Like had 15,000 people living in it and now it's 15 million people or something like that. Jeez. Um so so but the, so all the buildings are less than 30 years old ish. Um but in Guangzhou is a little bit different. Um, I found it to be more like a capital city. It almost looked like there's, so there's a lot more gardens, a lot less, uh, or a lot of big kind of expansive epic spaces mm-hmm. that we walked through the, the walkway from the, so they have their own tower called the Canton tower. It's taller than the sand tower. I believe now at this point, I think it's the second or I think it's the third tallest building in the world. And we went up to the top of it. Um, that's where my new fa- or my new Twitter profile picture is from the top of the Canton tower mm-hmm. in, in Guangzhou. And then we you you we kind of went down, and then we took the subway um, to a space that you can kind of see from the tower. But it's it's like this causeway. It's almost like the the mall 
in um in Washington D.C. Uh, where you go kind of from the the Capitol building to the Lincoln Memorial, and and if you turn to the right, you go to the um the White House. It was very like expansive, like wide walkway, a causeway uh, for awesome. walking, and it was absolutely beautiful. Um, and the lights, and then we went on a boat tour. Um, of the river that kind of runs through that city and, and just the, the skyline is stunning. Um, I've never seen anything like these cities. Um, so I, I've been told that Shanghai and Beijing are the other two cities that are similar. Um, but like Guangzhou has 15 million people in it. So there are half as many people in Guangzhou as in all of Canada. Oh my goodness. For, con- that, for context. That's crazy. Right. So, so, I mean, the, the, the scale of everything, nothing is small in China. That's, I think the one thing that I, uh, one of the f- funny phrases I took away and we, we, you laugh about it eventually because they just don't do anything small. Everything mm. is massive and giant and, um, um, they're very proud that's, I think, one of the interesting takeaways I have, too. They're very proud of who they are. They're very mm. proud of where they're from. They're proud of their food. They're proud of their lifestyle, even. Mm. They're very... A lot of them are very proud. Like, in the, okay. same, in the same way that Americans are proud to be American, mm-hmm. Chinese are very proud to be Chinese. And I think, that, I think that that's a context that a lot of... Americans and me too, like Canada doesn't have the same kind of flag waving proudness that that America has. We differentiate on that quite a bit. I um, mean, that's fairly well known. Um, China is very proud um, of of what they've accomplished, um, and and um, while I am in no way defending anything that they do, that's you know we know we know the bad things that they do and 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 how they govern and stuff like that but but most chinese want to show you what they've accomplished and they're very proud when they talk about it so it's it's not you can frame some of this stuff in the whole narrative of wanting to prove their dominance over people and like they build towers because they want to be the best and stuff like that but i think they also just build towers because they're proud that they can and they've accomplished like like this was a country that you know 150 100 years ago well you know um new york city was building the empire state building and there were towers in new york city already china was still basically a third world country uh and uh how far along they've come to build some of these these places is absolutely stunning and a stunning accomplishment um and um it, they 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 really want to share with you um you know the things that they've done and and how well they feel like they're doing and the companies are very proud like the people that we've dealt with as far as the the businesses are very proud to be you know chinese businesses and they talk about that in a way that you can tell that they um they want the world to give them some credit for the things that they're doing kind of thing um it's it was there's an interesting social dynamic there. Um, and, and there's some weird, interesting, like, like, so a weird tidbit. And I was warned about this. Thank God I was warned about this, but, um, um, it, it, it is a thing of pride though, when they hand you their business card. So, so you, 
you, you know, you're in business, you have business cards, I have business cards, whatever you, you give someone a business card, they hand it with two hands. I'm trying to get my, they hand it with two hands. Like they hold it up and they hold each side like that. And they'll hand it to you with two hands. And then you're expected to receive their business card with two hands. And that's it's and and you'll find that the hotels will do that too. They'll give you your hotel key with two hands, uh, and and so there's this weird kind of respect thing going on, even with business cards, um, for for being obviously incredibly communist. They're incredibly good capitalists. <laughs> That's that was the other thing that uh, my biggest take my other big takeaway was that they these guys know how to do business, and you shouldn't kid yourself that they're they are. I I I the the conflicts are abound with the Chinese in terms of like, um, their focus on like I mean people most people work like six days a week, um, and are working incredibly hard, uh, constantly. Uh, and it's, 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 it was, all of that was pretty interesting. The, the business side and the, the way they work and, you know, them wanting to show us, you know, the city and the sites was, was pretty interesting stuff. Uh, food, you want to talk yes. about food? Oh boy. Yeah. Well, you're like a guy, I mean, if people don't know you, I, I see you as someone that has a, a large palate as far as different types of food you're sure. you're into them mm-hmm. uh and it's not even just in the on the protein or whatever might be side that people would be like okay of course you know steak and blah 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 but mm. even on vegetables and sure. other things you're like passionate about food in general so i was like okay food and drinks because you wrote some things like you were like Ugh, about certain things and then certain things maybe you know were like amazing so that's yeah. The, the first the first night we um we got to Guangzhou, which is a lot more. It seemed like a lot more of a traditional place. The hotel restaurant was very traditional Chinese, um and and the 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 two fellas we were with, so it was Rami and myself, and then two of the 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 guys from Make Block. Um, he one of the the guys picked from the menu. First off, the menu was a novel. Like I'm serious, it was like easily an inch almost an inch thick and it was in a giant book we're talking like a like a legal size paper size book mm. very heavy like when she put it down when the the server put it down on the table it went boom it like it's like putting like this giant ancient tome of food on your table <laughs> <laughs> because everything has pictures Mm-hmm. Um, ordering food is incredibly complicated in China. Like even for the Chinese, um, mm-hmm. multiple times did we have people come back and like clarify our orders. I didn't hear what they were. I didn't understand what they were asking, but I could understand that they were saying, okay, do you want it like this or do you want it like this? Not in the same way as we say, I'd like the sour cream on the side either. Like, in in like these more technical ways they were mm-hmm. asking for clarifications on preparation which was wild that's crazy um, yeah so i didn't particularly like my first meal in guangzhou um i didn't like a lot of the stuff that was ordered it, it kind of made me mad because i pride myself like you said on being a bit of a foodie i'm having a pretty open mind um but in particular some of the fish preparations were a little bit 
gross to me. Hmm. I, I, those are the things that I, I was having a hard time dealing with. Um, and even some of the, the, the meat stuff was, was interesting. Um, a, a lot of the pork stuff that I had was like mushy pork. Like they had like mushed it up with like a, a masher hmm. before they put it into whatever the hell they put it into. Um, <laughs> you know, it was in different ways, but it was always like, like this mushy meat that really was like a gelatinous <laughs> texture that mm-hmm. I, that I wasn't enjoying very much. Um, it was funny though. The second night I went out for dinner with the same first guy that ordered, um, at the first restaurant, but with a, his boss. So a different guy. And this time I like, I took control, which, you know, is really strange when you're, you know, I didn't know what any, I was just looking at the pictures and guessing what it was, but I like took the menu from the guy and I was like, no, I'm ordering this time. And so I went through and everything is shared, right? Like you don't, you're not ordering mm-hmm. a dish for yourself. You're ordering like shared, family shared plates. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Everything, every meal I had was like a shared meal type experience. Cool. Um, and and so I ordered seven or eight different things and they bring them out on like the, you know, the big giant lazy Susans uh, and put them down so you can spin the table around and grab out whatever you want to grab at the time you want it. Pretty cool. Um, and I, so I enjoyed the second meal much more, even though it was still, a lot of it was very traditional Chinese, but I understood, you know, the preparations and the style and, and it was good. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, hmm. Almost always my favorite parts of my meals where were the the way that they prepared the the bok choy in particular hmm. um uh they I've, i had it about i mean i had it almost every meal first off it's everywhere um but the ways it was prepared like with garlic and ginger and stuff like that was always absolutely fantastic um and the the pho was awesome like i had it for breakfast almost every day there was like a hmm. You know how like at different hotels you'll you'll have like an omelet bar, an omelet station where you like put the stuff in a bowl and then you give the bowl yes. to the to the to the person and they mix it up with the egg and then they call you they ring your bell or whatever when they, when your omelet's ready or you just wait for it. Um, they had that boat with pho, so so mm. you would put this stuff whatever you wanted mushrooms, bok choy, you know whatever, and pick your type of noodle, put it all in a bowl, give the bowl to the to the preparation person and they they get it together for you and then give it back to you i I had noodles like every morning for breakfast which was absolutely fabulous Hmm. um what else is really strange i didn't um uh, the 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 coffee was fine but the milk is different milk is a lot at least the milks that i had were all like quite a bit richer quite a bit thicker Hmm. like like not like a two percent milk there was like a seven like your two percent average you know, or your normal like one percent two percent milk was like a five percent milk and you could Does taste the whole you, milk yeah you could which you could t- totally taste the difference mm-hmm. so the food was interesting um the fried rices were all really good i had some chinese sushi um like mm. sushi prepared it was still japanese but but there's there's like a chinese take on sushi um and it was all really good the sushi was good i love sushi so mm-hmm. um had that a couple times um the food was interesting i kept saying to my wife that she would have hated it she wouldn't have eaten like hardly mm. at all um so if you have like if you're like a chicken fingers and french fries <laughs> type person or like if 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 a fancy meal for you is spaghetti and meatballs um, you know, China's don't go. China's not gonna China's not gonna go over well for you for food. 
because uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, fishes with heads mm-hmm. still on them and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. So. <laughs> so for our audience out there, would you recommend it as a bucket list item? Uh, so maybe. It's tough. <laughs> I, I, I'll i say this. I'll say this. I would be fine not going back to China now that okay. I've been. Uh, right. I would, but it didn't deter me from going to other Asian countries. Like I would still love to go to Japan. Um, absolutely, I would um, still go to like Taiwan or Korea, South Korea. Um, so it didn't deter me from the culture. I didn't find the the culture shock as strong. I, I think that other places, other people in other parts of other countries may. Um, like, for example, well, I mean, Toronto is one of the most ethnically diverse countries in the, or, or cities in the entire world. That's pretty well known. So, and I worked at a school, the, the, the private school I worked at was like 60% Chinese. Hmm. Um, so I'm not, um, I didn't find the culture shock as strong as other people had warned me. Um, and certainly while I wasn't picking up on the language or anything like that, I was picking up on like tone of voice and style of conversation um, quite a bit easier once once I had been there for a few days. Um, like that clarification about food, for example, I could tell that that was like a, a preparation clarification. Do you want the something cooked in this instead of cooked in this? And how do you want it dished to serve to you kind of thing, as opposed mm. to just like the basics, you know, can I have some ketchup on the side type type question that you would get in? I would find, I would suspect that the average person, um, who wasn't used to those types of cultures, who wasn't living in, uh, an area of either your country or my country that was used to diversity would have found a lot of that culture shock pretty strong. Um, coming through customs, even for me, coming through that Chinese customs at the That's what I at was the, thinking about at the Shenzhen ferry was scary as hell. Like yeah, I was, just, it was intimidating. Yeah, that in, part's got to be unique. They're all yeah. they all have guns and they're all you know they all look kind of mean. A little bit and uh it was it was different than going through you know the customs at you know pearson international airport in fact when we were leaving going through the chinese customs when we were leaving was so much easier because i think that there's like an internationalized exiting customs that's mm-hmm. different because they realize that people you know are going home and mm-hmm. it's it's like they so they treat them maybe a little bit better i don't i don't know if that's the case but i definitely felt less intimidated leaving than i felt coming in and hmm. i felt the coming that that hour or so that i was in the customs area of the shenzhen ferry terminal was 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 pretty scary i'll be i'll be honest it was it was pretty wild the part that i was thinking about that would be that i think would be the most intimidating about what you just finished describing would be how the population density that part would freak people me out. everywhere all the time that's well and i mean you're used to you, you i mean you you live near a, a ginormous city i'm not really a city person i would mm-hmm. never want to live in a city but i guess if you're from los angeles or new york or you live in a big city and you're used to 
urban life mm. and and then multiply that times like you just said times Hundreds. a lot <laughs> yeah and then you're used to that what it feels like to be in the middle of this ginormous city with tons of people yeah. tons of things yeah. going on at the same time that part i would find super intimidating there was a massive um, amount of people giant like unimaginable amount of cars the driving is terrible glenn mm. Oh, I've I've never seen such bad driving in my life. Like I Meh. I had to You've like never been to Latin America. I had to close my, <laughs> I had to close my eyes. I have actually, and um, I I remember the driving being bad in the Dominican Republic as well. Hmm. Um, but uh, I had to like go oh oh crap and close my eyes more than once hmm. in you know being driven around. Um by a cabbie or whatever it was Mm. pretty bad it was scary (laughs) for those of us that like to conform to rules uh (sighs) when when stop signs and stop lights and uh, yield and those those rules they don't apply no that's when things that's when things start getting a little fishy in our brains (laughs) especially like the turn signals and the lane the lane changing (laughs) was the is the craziest one for me like they would Hmm. they would thread needles changing lanes like i've never seen i i saw a guy go from like one lane to three lanes over swiping between cars um Hmm. we're talking with like less than an inch to spare uh, and doing that without even thinking about it, just that's boom. that's that's how it goes. And yeah. I was uh. like, "Are you freaking kidding me?" My my, that's the other part that Cheryl would have been like, "Nope, nope, I'm no, out. Peace, <laughs> have fun." I would never bring I would never bring Cheryl to to China. I just I, I think that she wouldn't. Enjoy, I I'm glad that I went, and uh, mm-hmm. I I know that my wife wouldn't have enjoyed it. Yeah, so that's China. Well, that's. Yeah, and now that's I'm a, back. That's a good China recap. That was yeah. that was good. Yeah, yeah. it was. It, it's it, there's so much, and every once in a while I might bring something up later because I'm I'm thinking about it a lot. But it was it was pretty interesting. Um, mm. uh, what's next here? You got you saw an article that piqued your interest. Yes, it was by one of your fellow Canadians. I think he's a Canadian because I he think is. he actually spoke at the Impact Education Conference just oh, a few he? years ago. Yeah, nice. Ta- it was called Tizen, uh, and he was one of the keynote speakers. Dean Shiresky. Can that's I? That's how you say his last name. Dean Shiresky. I'll yeah. have to admit, actually, it's funny. Um, you know, we get to meet a lot of people, and we mm-hmm. know like all of the people that you know, like the names of the people, like the Alice Keelers and whatever. We, we would consider a lot of these people our friends, and um, don't get kind of, you know, wowed, for lack of better words, by by some of these folks anymore. But I totally fanboyed when I met Dean Shiresky for the first time. <laughs> I won't lie. <laughs> it was at Austin at LearnFest in Austin mm-hmm. last summer, and he was there. And he's the only person I ever went like, hey, Dean, and then I didn't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> then it got really and awkward. Then, well, yeah, and then I totally went in for like a hug. I'm like, dude, I'm coming in for a hug, and I don't care. And he was like, okay. <laughs> it's like who is this yeah, guy <laughs> he knew who i was he actually came and introduced himself to me which was probably what made it a little even more awkward i wasn't expecting that but um but anyways dean chereski hmm. yes so dean chereski he tweeted and a link to another article from forbes magazine mm-hmm. and the the title of that 
article is called The Myth of Jobs That Don't Exist Yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a really good read. I would t- recommend anybody to go ahead and read it. Um, as you read through the article, you're encountering several different things. Basically, uh, one of the tweetable things that you can actually tweet right from the top, it says, the idea that any significant portion of today's students will take jobs that don't exist yet is a myth. And that's a super hot take. <laughs> I mean, so, so hot. It's flaming hot. Um, but as you get to the bottom of the article, that's why you want to read through the entire thing. And I'm just going to kind of preview the bottom for you. He actually makes a statement that I think contradicts kind of this whole there's a bunch of hot takes throughout the entire article but at the end it basically says um, that schools are doing an outstanding job right now number one which i like that part but then he says something it says and to the extent that any future jobs are in transition or under development schools and students alike are wise to invest in good foundations of education but here's one of the things he says right now we're doing a great job in things like critical reading communication, creativity, and collaboration. But I always think that the premise of saying that we're preparing students for jobs in the future, do you know what I mean, mm-hmm, Mike, as far mm-hmm. as the, is the premise of we're, we, hold on, we don't know what those jobs are going to be, but what can we prepare them right now? Well, it's these things he just talked about at the end. Yeah. It's the communication, creativity, all this, the five C's, uh, collaboration. Um, it's, it's those types of skills. So it's an interesting article. And I thought it was an interesting point, especially we just had also an, a, a great conversation with Noah Geisel, which on a different episode, you guys are going to be able to listen to, uh, it as far as our conversation. But I don't think, I actually don't think that we talk about this enough. I agree. I, I, I actually, I think it's the exact opposite of what this guy's like, yep. like tick ticked off at the world or yeah. the edu, edu Twitter world, let's yeah, call yeah, it. Yeah. Because we're talking too much about those jobs that don't exist yet. Hold on a second. We're not talking enough about those things. Yeah. It's, it, and, and I actually was just thinking back to how I'm not even prepared to speak enough about these topics because I actually am right now consuming tons and tons of information. Uh, I remember just uh, probably within the past year, Mike, people didn't know who Andrew Yang was, the guy that's running for president in the yeah. United States. But but you told me about him mm-hmm. and you said something about uh, his minimum uh, – I can't remember what Universal basic UBI. income. Universal basic income. That was the first time, Mike, that I had ever heard that that phrasing, universal basic income. That was about a year ago when he was barely on the horizon of whatever might be. Look at him now. That's how – yeah, but not only that. That's how uneducated I was about – not only universal basic income, but the concepts that that Andrew Yang talks about, which is – I'm so happy that on the – yeah, that on the debate stage, he's actually speaking to this concept about artificial intelligence, yep. machine learning, yep. and the impact it will have nine, ten to twenty years from now. Tomorrow, but in a few in a few years from now, it's happening right now. It's happening right now on on the jobs that we currently just kind of take for granted that you can go ahead and do. And one of them that really struck me, I was listening to him on another podcast, and he was speaking about truck drivers. Yep. And if you ever get yeah, a chance to listen one, yeah. to, 
Yeah, to listen to Andrew Yang speak about truck driving and not only his his capacity for like knowing and understanding that profession, like he's actually spoke to truck driver. He's there on the ground and then he understands the economics of it and how impactful it is in the United States and then how soon that job will actually cease to exist be for gone. humans to do. Yep, 10, 15 years. And just that one segment, he just talks about, he said, you Millions. don't like, understand how many people do that and how great of a job it actually is mm-hmm. and how unprepared we all are, including us as educators and politicians, anybody. And those truck drivers are unprepared for what's about to come down the pipeline. And we don't – we. We don't have a a plan for it to be able to take place. So, when someone says that we're that that we're exaggerating this point, you know that the the myth of the of jobs that don't exist yet, I I couldn't disagree more. I don't even know. Like I I I mean, I'm going with this guy. I'm like, is it because you think that we're exaggerating this point? Because you're wrong. <laughs> I think we we don't speak about it enough. His main complaint in the article is about the actual numbers and the lack of citation. Like it's sure. it's a, it's a complaint about the substance of the like the the reports or what he's not uh, i mean you can't argue with the fact the fact is mm-hmm. there are jobs that don't exist right now that will exist in the future and there yes. are jobs that exist now that are going away very very soon you will and and I think that the reason why this conversation needs to happen, like, and, and God bless Andrew Yang for, for, and like, I'm not a, I, if I was voting in a primary for the record, I wouldn't vote for Andrew Yang, but I think that he's, his voice needs to be at the tables in the future because I think he's nailed this topic. It's yes. like, it's like listening to Bernie Sanders talk about universal health care. Andrew Yang has nailed this topic, this UBI idea, and a lot of what he's saying about that makes is 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 bang on. Yes. Um, the biggest problem with the jobs of the future is that the jobs that are being outsourced the easiest are the jobs that are f- typically associated with lower education levels and poverty. Uh, people yes. who you know work at um, who go to get a job at McDonald's are getting a job at McDonald's almost always. And I'm, I mean, don't take this, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. This is absolutely true. Most of the people who get a job at McDonald's are, are there because they don't have a university or college education. That's it's not, I'm not saying anything crazy there. Um, and it, they are associated with lower income levels and levels of, you know, uh, on the, on the poverty scale. Um, you know, that has a lot to do with the fact that the minimum wage is ridiculously low and paying people who work 40 hours a week a wage that they can't live on. It's a totally yes. different political conversation right there. Sure. But the fact is that those are the jobs that are also being eliminated. They're like, hell no, we're not going to give you $15 an hour. We're just going to replace you with a machine. It's already happening right now. McDonald's. People, the, yeah. Everybody. My, McDonald's. All the McDonald's in Barrie have kiosks. That's what I'm saying. So, what about your grocery stores? Remember, right. I don't even know if people remember. I mean, I'm 44. Yeah. I clearly remember yeah. the job of a uh, person at the grocery store, not only packing your groceries, but taking it out to your car and, right. and putting oh it into God. your damn car. Why would they do that now? <laughs> 
Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like that no, job existed and it was awesome. You know, we all took yeah. it for granted. Now we're freaking scanning our own damn items. Yeah. Guess what that means though? That's what I'm saying. All these people that and it's, it's, and it's one person right monitoring now. and it's one person monitoring six or seven machines as opposed to six or seven people plus, you know, two or three people rotating between lines to bag the stuff. And then, you know, like you said, the, the carriers that they had, you know, um, this, these jobs don't exist anymore and this is going to get worse. It's worse or better. I mean, depending on the way like you, you yeah. frame it, I mean, I, I, but that's what makes this conversation so important is that yes. it's only worse if we're not prepared that's it right it's only yes. worse if we don't prepare our kids for a future where they where they have to understand that you know these 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 jobs that exist now will not be there for them you're not going to be able to fall back on on a on a manual labor job because there won't be man, for lack of better words I, i'm not or, or again a, or a truck driving job right it currently exists it's one of the highest paying gone. jobs it's the highest paying job i think he rated it that all you need is a high school yeah, yeah, degree yeah. to be able to 70, do eighty thousand dollars a year driving a truck it's as much as I get paid, yeah. and it's a great career. And, and a lot of them are self-employed. Yep. Like they own basically own, own their own yep. truck, their yep. company. 100%. They get to make their own decisions. It's a super brutal job. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Yeah. It's a freaking hard-ass job. But, but you can do it, and you can earn a great living, uh, a middle, upper, middle-class living in the United States doing that job until it doesn't exist. And that's – the scary ass part. And that's only one job that Andrew Yang is actually talking about. Yep. It's crazy. Yep. And yeah. Ugh, so I, I, I'm not, I mean, the article is ridiculous just in the sense that it's harping on this 85% number. I mean, okay. Yeah. Make the number lower if that's what helps you sleep at night, whatever. <laughs> I mean, seriously, the number is big. It's mm -hmm. the, the number of automated jobs is huge. We, yes. I mean, I don't know how you cannot see this because it's happening already. Um, already. So, I mean, obviously middle-class jobs that can, can be automated are going away. Thank God. Uh, you know, these similar studies have also done studies on teaching and, and uh, education is one of those roles that is not easily automated. Uh, we know why. Obviously, there's a personal aspect. There's a, um, a touch that, that, that teachers have, you know, a personal relationship with students that makes a, a significant difference. But there is, there is tons of jobs that, that are just disappearing and, mm. um, the future jobs are going to be the roles that develop the software and technology and the means, the manufacturing means to create these devices and tools and robots that, that do this, this work. Um, I listen, I think as long as we work with that mind, I think it's a good future. I listen, um, if we can get people to not have to haul rocks you know, on their backs or, you know, you know, pave things and stuff like that. Like, like manual labor, if we can get a machine to do manual labor, that's, that's a good thing. Um, it, the, the narrative of it being a bad thing is because it's someone's job. Mm -hmm. The, the, the idea of the job itself and someone else and, and a machine doing that, that's a good thing, you know, 
where it's bad is because someone's going to lose their income because they're not doing it. So we just mm. need to find ways. This is why universal basic income is important because it's mm. giving people a basic income to um, offset for the fact that these roles are no longer going to exist. Uh, mm. I would encourage everyone, you know, I don't, Yang doesn't need to be your guy. Um, it's, it's a super important concept, so but read it. He knows exactly what he's talking about. Go listen to him on, uh, I think he was on um, um, Rogan, uh, yes. where he, the, he gave, Rogan gave him like all of the time in the world to explain it. Um, Sanders on Rogan is also very good, by the way. Um, and, and so go, go listen to Andrew Yang, go listen to him in the debates. Cause he's not getting a whole lot of time, but I think the time he's getting, he's using well. Um, and I think that, I think that there is a role in labor or commerce for Andrew Yang in almost anyone's administration. Uh, there absolutely should be, um, especially um, the more left candidates like Warren and, and, and Sanders. I am, I, I hope that his voice is someone that doesn't go away when um, he inevitably, I don't suspect he's getting the nomination. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I'd like to see his voice at the table though. Uh, super interesting stuff. When we come back, uh, we'll have the bests. We'll tackle some of the best Christmas presents you can give for learning with your family and at home. So stay with us. On Education is brought to you by FreshGrade. Are you spending too much time stumbling between apps and duplicating work? Want to spend more time connecting with your students? FreshGrade Next has powerful new lesson planning tools that will give you the flexibility you need to focus on engaging and inspiring your students. FreshGrade Next is designed for teachers and made for learning. Integrated, simple, and powerful. To learn more about FreshGrade Next and sign up for your free account, visit FreshGrade.com. On Education is brought to you by Sourcewell Technology and the Impact Education Conference. Join Jimmy Casas, Angela Myers, Michael Cohen, Jordan Shapiro, the On Education podcast team, amazing featured speakers, and thousands of educators December 14th through 17th in Minneapolis, Minnesota for the region's best education conference. Register now using promo code ONEDUCATION2019 for $30 off your registration. Also, with every registration, you'll receive a free book of your choice from one of the amazing speakers. To register for the conference, visit impact.sourcewelltech.org. That's impact.sourcewelltech.org. All right, welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Uh, the Bests is taking the world by storm, and we're about to start our second list. Because uh, everyone likes lists, so welcome to the Bests. And this... Uh, this segment is the best. Christmas is coming. Christmas yes. is very soon. Uh, 20, no, less than 20, like 15, 16 days away. Holy moly. Yes. So people are shopping out Better there. Get going. I, I mean, I'll mm -hmm. be honest. Uh, I won't start shopping until probably about the 21st. <laughs> The, I thought you were going to say the 24th. No, the 21st is a Saturday. <laughs> so that seems like a really good day to do some Christmas shopping. So <laughs> we wanted to get this list in uh, for for you folks uh, before you go out there. And maybe you're thinking about some last minute things. Um, and we got some ideas on, on if you want to um, extend learning into your home or with your family. 
Uh, these are the best gifts for learning at home and with your family. Mm-hmm. So uh, I I started. We got we got nine. They're in no specific order of preference. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll start. I'll give you. I'll give you the first. Let's say I'll give you the first three or four. I'll give you the first four, because I I started thinking about this from like a technology perspective. But I like where Glenn went as well, and I'm I'm all in on all of this <laughs> stuff. I think all mm-hmm. of these, the nine that we're going to give you are absolutely fabulous. So the first thing that I thought was educational robotics. So a lot of these robots um, that are popular are available at retail, um, especially nice. in Canada. So like it, in in a, you can go in Canada to a Best Buy and buy a Dash. Um, mm. You can go on Amazon and buy a Dash. Uh, robot. You can buy a Sphero. You can buy Spheros at a lot of retail in the United States as well. Um, and these are pretty substantial learning opportunities. You can awesome. have fun with them. You can play with them. They are absolutely toys in in a lot of cases. Um, but you know, we know that they're used in schools and that there's a lot of educational opportunities there. And the same goes for number two, which was Osmo. Um, so if you, for anyone who doesn't know what Osmo is, it's an app that is on your iPad and there's a little attachment that kind of goes on the top and it scans, Mm -hmm. it scans down on the surface as you interact with different things, devices, there are some add-ons and, and I, couldn't tell you what all of the add-ons are, but but Osmo is very very popular. You can buy it. I, I think you can even buy it to be honest at the Apple Store. Um, mm. But it's but it's certainly available pretty widely at retail as well, um, and and fairly inexpensive, especially for something that's moderately high tech. Um, nice. I, I mean, inevitably we were going to bring up playing video games. <laughs> so so I mean. Uh, it, it would, the best game it of would, all time. It would never hurt for you to buy your kid Minecraft. Um, no, and and actually just announced today to to make it not um, to make it timely. Uh, so this is on Monday, the 9th of December. They actually just announced that the PS4 version of Minecraft is going to be the Bedrock Edition. They're they're changing mm. it over to Bedrock. So so now the Switch and the Xbox and the PS4 are all going to be cross-play. And running mm, on the same on the same version of Minecraft, um, um, starting very soon. Um, so so that's actually good. That means that the PS4 version is going to get things like the aquatic update um, and and all of this other stuff as well. So um, Bedrock version is 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 the the at least they're trying to make it the more universal version. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so that's that's a good good thing. So you can buy it for anything. Uh, now at this point, and and get a similar experience across all of the uh, all of the different platforms, um, and then finally, I'll I'll end my uh, four here that I I had written down with. I mean, something that's obviously a little more expensive, but if you're looking for that one big gift to give uh, one of your kids, uh, I mean, we've always, we, I mean, Isaac, our oldest son, has an an iPod Touch. Um, and he's been using that for games and for talking with his friends and, and stuff like that. And an iPad or an iPod is, is a, is a great gift. You can, you can buy them mm-hmm. a, an Android tablet, though. I don't know why you would want to possibly do that. <laughs> Hashtag hot take. Um, but certainly any sort of tablet device, there's, there's mm-hmm. obviously, I mean, we've talked about this before. It's about how you use it 
Yes. The the idea of getting your kid a tablet should not be something that's crazy or something you should fear um, as long as you use them smartly and responsibly and actually treat them like they are, which is a, an interesting opportunity to learn as well. Yes. And I, I was thinking about just games that I've had really, really positive experiences with as a family. Yeah. So there's some, and I'm talking about specifically about board games. Mm-hmm. I'm not against competitive games. And one of these games is a competitive games, but there are times when it, fe- when it feels like that actually there are winners and losers. Mm. And sometimes I want Monopoly. us as a family. Yep. I want us as a family to be able to battle against something. In this sure. case, the game itself, and then either come out victorious or we all lose, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And that's kind of games like, uh, if you've ever heard a game called Forbidden Island, and there's another game called Pandemic, and it's basically you as the players against the game. And you can set up different uh, parameters for it as far as the difficulty level. Uh, and it's super enjoyable experience. I have a 12-year-old and a 7-year-old. And then, of course, my wife uh, plays and even my uh, in-laws have played. So we're talking about uh, cross-generational mm-hmm. and we're all playing against this game. And it's super awesome to listen to us as strategize uh, all, from the 7-year-old all the way through my 60-some-year-old uh, father-in-law all talking towards beating the game. It's super awesome. There's another game that Mike and I have enjoyed a lot, and I just absolutely love this game. It's called Splendor. It's easy to learn. Any kid from a young age to uh, adults will have fun playing it. Just a great board game. So I just put family board games, specifically ones, go try to find some of those that are, uh, that it's, everybody's working together versus working against each other. Then I put something random on here because I was like, one of the gifts that my kids absolutely love, and I think we as parents forget about how much kids love this, is paper. (laughs) I just put paper (laughs) and art supplies. Yeah. And then places to get ideas from, which are books. Mm. Uh, We are big fans of like Dungeons and Dragons books, just places to be able to let your imagination go wild Mm -hmm. and then letting them draw things out. And like your kids too, they get super excited about building levels. So they become these game designers where they're just kind of writing things out and inventing their own characters and whatever it might be. And all of that hyper imagination, super amazing. What a inexpensive cost and what an amazing things that you can go ahead and do and they've done so much with that with paper art supplies and books that just will spark your imagination um on a techie side i was thinking about this a lot of times we we uh don't give our kids enough credit and me and you know that our kids are actually able to do things that we don't even know that they can do mm-hmm. with video editing mm-hmm and music editing Mm -hmm. um so programs like adobe premiere so not just the cheese i i'm not i don't have anything against iMovie and it's great for an for a beginning entry level thing but if your kid really gets into it you can do so much amazing things with things like adobe premiere Mm -hmm. pro Mm -hmm. or in music editing my uh a brother is into music and recording music and his son is into creating digital music um and they use a program called Ableton, which I've been experimenting with. And it's a fantastic piece of software where you can actually create your own music. You can edit your own music too, but you can create your own music. It's fantastic. It's uh, what a, that would be an amazing gift for your kids. I say, Hey, follow your passion and let's go do this. 
and talking about following your passion, this is, was the year that me and you talked about like Ninja breaking the uh, ESPN, the magazine uh, cover and saying, hey, esports gamers, this is a real thing. Mm-hmm. And why not set your kids up with a streaming setup? Like teach them how to do it and how to do it appropriately. There's so many videos about not only how to set it up, but to do things appropriately so that you can manage things the right way. So things like uh, needing a laptop, a computer, camera, microphone, those kinds of things. It might be an expensive thing, but you might already have some of the pieces to kind of get started. And I've seen so many streamers that are really good. That just start with basics. Yeah, yeah. Like super basics. It's and it's all about them, you know, their thing and their personality to be able I, to kind of get going with that. I um I actually um Isaac's best friend, Alex, um, is is getting a um a computer for Christmas. Uh yeah. and he know he knows he's getting it. Um so uh, I he's actually um it's funny, he's actually gonna spend the night at our house and, and hang out with Isaac. Um okay. but but I'm going to build Alex's computer with him. Um, on our kitchen table. So we're, he was, he, we're going to go to Canada computers. It's a big kind of computer parts store and buy all the pieces, the video card, the motherboard, the hard drives, everything you need to put a computer together, the case, everything, power supply. We're going to bring it all back to my house. We'll order pizza, you know, do the things that kids do when they, when they stay overnight. But then, but then Alex and I, and Isaac's going to, going to watch. We're not, we can't build Isaac a computer. This kid has been saving like for a year and a half. He's got $2,000. So he's building a, (laughs) I don't have two grand to buy Isaac a computer. I feel a little (laughs) bit bad, but but I mean, if Isaac wants to save, he can buy a computer for he sure. He can do it too. Yeah. But, but so we're going to buy all these parts for Alex. Alex is going to come over. We're going to, we're going to put them all out on the table and then we're going to build his computer right, you know, that night he's staying overnight. Uh, and he's awesome. going to go home the next day with a gaming, a high end gaming PC. But we're going to, I, I explained to his mom the value of teaching a kid how to actually build a computer oh, big time. is such a cool experience. Like I haven't bought a desktop computer in over well over 15 years. I've been building my own desktop computers um, for a long, long time. Um, not only am I saving money, but I actually find it fun. Um, and when you learn about things like that, you can help your family and your friends, yes. you know, with things with their computers. So, so I think that it was a fun opportunity to do something that I enjoy, but also, you know, teach Alex how to build computers and he'll take that skill and use it the rest of his life. Probably. Freaking awesome. Yeah. Uh, on, on my list here, I also had something that maybe people don't think about and that's be musical instruments. Yeah. Uh, I, like I, I, watched one time a music teacher of Lysander's, my older son, and he was probably only about eight, seven or eight years old. And the music teacher taught them all, all the kids, how to play the ukulele. And they just played two chords. I think they were playing Yellow Submarine Mm -hmm. by the Beatles, you know? And I was like, oh God, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're showing like a six or seven-year-old kid, whether they had musical ability, talent, or whatever it might be. He got them all. They're all playing this uh, yellow submarine and learning how to strum and hold a chord, two chords. And I'm like, yes. So getting your kid a ukulele, $25 entry price. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a really good one is about $100. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's a really yeah, good ukulele. Cheap. Yeah. And awesome to play. The neck is tiny. It's it plays amazing. You can really learn two or three chords very easily by holding one fret down one finger. 
fantastic thing or other types of thing. I was also thinking about maybe non-traditional. They're not into, let's say, an acoustic instrument like a like a guitar mm-hmm. or a uh, an actual instrument like a, a trumpet or something else like that. Uh, things like MIDI boards. You may not know what that is, but basically kids could be into electronic music, uh, making their own beats of things. So moving them away from a already something digitized that's been made for them. So for example, in GarageBand, fantastic tool, nothing against it, but you can actually make those sounds that come out in GarageBand with a MIDI board. And so they can learn basically pitch of keys and and be able to go ahead and make their own sounds and crazy things or whatever it might be, and then be able to go ahead and do something like DJ setups, those kinds of things. And then finally, I was like thinking about this and it's the thing that me and you are, are really into and basically thinking about just take a trip too, not maybe during the holiday vacation, but you say, Hey, we're going to go do this and really encouraging you guys to step out of your comfort zones as far as typical family vacation places. Cause your family vacation could just be somewhere you just haven't visited in your local region. So there's so many places we don't visit national parks, just great places to museums, et cetera. And that those experiences are things that you and your kids are going to always remember. 20. I mean, there's, yeah, go ahead. 20, 2020 is the year that, that we travel, like our family travels more, uh, and we start awesome. being conscious about that. Um, Isaac and Jacob, have, neither of them have ever been on an airplane. Um, and it's gonna be and awesome. I think Cheryl's actually only been on an airplane like twice in her whole life, okay. um, uh, both with me, if I remember correctly, too. So um, I think 2020 is like we're going to commit to traveling more as a family. Uh, we kind of started awesome. last summer there when we went to Montreal together. Um, but I think we're going to um, uh, we're hoping to take the whole family to ISTE, um, which, you know, is a typical traveling thing because it is Disneyland. But I mean, the kid, like I said, the kids have never even been on an airplane before. So it, it'll be a that'll be a pretty rad experience. Um, and it's funny because. One of the things that I, speaking to what you were talking about there, um, Barrie, Ontario has like one of the best junior hockey teams in North America. And I think that we've been to one Barrie Colts game and I've been living here for over a decade. Um, Mm. So like that's an example of something that like, and it's not expensive. Don't take advantage of. It's not expensive. So I should be doing that kind of thing a whole, like it, the arena, the 5,000, it's just down the road. Like it's five mm. minutes from my house to go to go to the Barry Colts arena. Uh, and there's a restaurant in the arena. Like we could have dinner, we can go to the game and probably in and out under 200 bucks. So it's not like you have to spend like thousands of dollars to go spend some time away from somewhere with your family. You just got to choose to do it, I think is mm-hmm. what, I'm finding for myself and my family. So um, hopefully take a trip, people. Yeah, do it. 2020. So there it is. The year of the trip. Yeah, the year of the trip, hopefully anyways. <laughs> uh, so so that was the best. We got uh, we got nine, nine things. And um, we'd love to hear what you do this Christmas and coming up. What If, if you've bought any of this kind of stuff, uh, weigh in, let us know, chat with us on the, uh, on the chat. Uh, give us some of your own ideas for things that might be uh, good gifts for learning at home and with your family. And when we come back, we'll be joined by Rochelle Denet-Poth. So stay with us. On Education is brought to you by Fidgets. 
Fidgets are interactive USB sensors that support all major programming languages that make physical computing easy. Fidgets keep the emphasis on coding while increasing student engagement. And the best part is that you can get started for free right now. Simply go to bit.ly slash fidgets on education to get your introductory kit that includes a free sensor worth over $50. That's bit.ly slash fidgets on education. All right, welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Rochelle Denny-Poth is a language and STEM teacher who designed the course What's Next in Emerging Technology. She was selected as one of the 20 to watch by the NSBA. She's a future-ready instructional coach, a Microsoft innovative educator expert, and a Nearpod pioneer. Rochelle will be presenting at FETC 2020 on a number of topics around AI, AR, and VR in the classroom. Welcome back to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Uh, I was actually trying to think back to when you were on it before. It was at FETC last year, live. It, we were, it was, yeah. When we were in the hall, uh, yeah. which is awesome. And um, are you, since you're going to FETC, obviously next year, we'll, we'll have you back and we'll we'll sit down and chat again because those chats are always fun. They're a little bit different than these kind of, um, uh, you know, for, more formal interviews. Those those are a blast. So I'm excited to, to see you in, I guess, a couple weeks, right? I, it, that's crazy. I just, I can't even wrap my head around the fact that like what the date is today. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there's just been this time warp over the last two months and it's like, wait, did we already have like Thanksgiving or like, right. yeah, it's time flies for sure. So for anyone who hasn't met you or is unfamiliar with your work, could you share a little bit about yourself, uh, a little bit of your story uh, and kind of what has led you to talking to us today? Yeah, uh, I have always loved learning. And, um, you know, people are sometimes surprised. It just, you know, if I presented a conference and I'm, I might present on a topic, you know, cause I teach Spanish. So it might be on assessment tools or digital storytelling. And then some of my sessions are on, you know, augmented virtual reality, artificial intelligence. And the biggest thing is when people you know, meet me, they're like, well, how did you become involved in teaching a course on emerging tech or, you know, involved with steam and, if it goes back to long ago as a student, you know, I was always fascinated by technology, very interested in learning and seeing how, you know, it can apply to the classroom, both as a student as a and as a teacher now. But um, the connection was that with my school, they had gotten a grant to move our library into a makerspace and teaching foreign languages, um, French and Spanish, both at the time, the A in arts was me. And so that was kind of my entrance into that. And at first, the first two years, I was teaching hummingbird robots, uh, which when my principal asked asked me to teach hummingbirds, I really did not know that they were robots. I thought that they were, in fact, uh, the birds on a deck. <laughs> and so it was kind of confusing to me. And I didn't admit it to him at the time because I thought, I'm not going to even, I'm just going to say, yeah, okay, sounds great. Um, and then I went and I Googled it. And so that was the first two years. And then over the past, I think this is my fourth year with the emerging tech, just the connections I've had with students and being able to work with them and build relationships has just made such a difference, uh, you know, personally and professionally, but it's pushed me me to go out and keep doing things like learning and going to conferences, uh, making connections with people, you know, educators from around the world, because for probably, I'd say 
I, I keep saying the first 15 years of my career, I kept myself highly in isolation, um, just the choice that I made. And now that, you know, when I can look back on that and, and see what my life is like for my students, mm. mostly now compared to back then, it's like, wow, I wish I could go back and do it all over again. Um, because, you know, not only did it impact me personally and professionally, but like the opportunities that I could have had for my students. So people often say, you know, well, what's, what's your investment? What are you so interested in? And it's just, keeping myself going and not missing out on opportunities because you never know when that one thing that you come across or that one interaction you have with somebody is going to be like the one thing that somebody else needs to know. Um, and so I just keep going and where I am now, I truly would not be had it not been for an ex you know, my law school experience. Cause I went to law school. Um, I had a mentor who basically, I mean, at that point I probably would have gotten out of teaching, uh, but because of that relationship, it led me to see, you know, teaching differently, the relationship of teachers differently and really re-engaged me. And ever since then, it's just been a gradual growth process. Um, but the things that I'm doing now, I guarantee I would not have done had it not been for my own relationship with a mentor and then building the relationships with my students. I'll tell you, it, that mentor bit is, is huge. It's, it's, it's big for me too. It's been a, uh, a huge part of my life and growth as a as an educator um i mention all the time carl hooker is mm -hmm. is one of the people that i definitely would call a mentor i talk to him weekly um even now still um and it's great because uh we have so much that we can relate to each other now where like when we when i first started talking to carl he was already like doing all of this amazing stuff and um uh, you know i i find every I, everyone should have a mentor Everyone right. should have someone that they feel like they can speak to in a safe way um, to talk about the things they're struggling with, talk about the things that they're they're dealing with, talk about wanting to quit when they want to mm -hmm. quit. Um, um, but then I, I needed someone that could smack me around a little bit too because I'm always in so many different places in my head. Right. Um, mentorship is huge, right? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. And it's not, you know, wherever you go in education, typically most schools, I believe, do tend to assign the newer teachers, whether you're, you know, first time teaching or new to the building to have a, mm. a mentor. So sometimes those are relationships that have been set in place for us. And quite honestly, what I've noticed is just for myself, there have been some where they just kind of formed and it's not like you, aha, I have a mentor or I'm a mentor for somebody. It just kind of evolves yeah. based on your connections. But, you know, in keeping myself in isolation. Like I had mentors, but honestly, I avoided those contacts for you know a long period of time because I was struggling as a teacher and I was afraid of the feedback. Um, and, you know, for people to say, or to see, I guess that, you know, maybe I wasn't doing that great. And mm -hmm. now that's something, you know, I wish I could obviously go back and change, but that's what, what we need those mentors for is to be able to have somebody to speak to comfortably. That's going to be there to support you and not be like, Oh yeah, you're the worst <laughs> teacher ever, you know, <laughs> but to give you some guidance and to give you the pushback that you need when you need it. So you're busy. <laughs> Very busy. I mean, you, you speak about opportunities and not wanting to miss the window where, you know, you could have that chance to, to make an impact. Um, and and I, I mean, I'd like to maybe talk, we're going to talk about the books in, in a little bit, but you, you've written a number of books um, or edited or like um, collaborated with a lot of <laughs> right. people on a, on a lot of books. Um, you do sessions at conferences all over the world, all over North America. Um, uh, you have so much going on and I'm curious other than that piece that you talked about 
you know, not wanting to miss opportunities and stuff like that. What drives you to be as busy as you are? <laughs> uh, I, I, I think everyone's a little bit different. I'm pretty busy myself and Glenn's extremely busy as well, but all of us are a little bit different. I'm curious what motivates you. Yeah, it's just, I mean, part of it is just knowing how many opportunities I missed, you know, years ago. Mm. Um, part of it is, you know, I mean, and I think, I mean, no matter what we do, it's always going to be the case. Right? Like, oh, I wish I had more time or I wish I would have done this. And so that's a big part of, you know, what makes up my mindset on a daily basis is, you know, yeah, I might be tired and I think, oh, I don't really want to go and do this or I don't want to volunteer time or do something. But then when I think back to then and I think, you know what, what's what's the difference? It's one opportunity and who knows what kind of an impact it might have on somebody else, on myself. Um, so that's definitely a big piece of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I said, I love learning. I love reading and I'm just, I'm curious all the time. And so I, like, I have a system that I use every single day that kind of, I mean, I wouldn't say it keeps me balanced, but it keeps me kind of going and being able to do a lot of different things. And, you know, that's important to me because I really do want to be a person that, you know, has different ideas and experiences. So if somebody is looking for help, I might not know the answer, but hopefully somewhere along the way, I picked up something or I know somebody that can help, you know, this other person, if that's the case. So what's your system? What do you, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing every day? What's, well, what's keeping yeah. you? How are you managing all of this? I, I mean, I do sleep because people ask me all the time. <laughs> the I mean, that's irony like, is that I don't, the, so I could use some advice. And I mean, I, it's, it's not enough, I'm sure. But um, I've just come up with different like hacks and different ways to be a little bit more efficient. Um, you know, just if I, I've been really good for probably the last oh, probably seven or eight weeks now that taking time, getting out of the house after work, you know, on the weekends and going for a walk. So hmm. While I take the walk, you know, sometimes I do just listen to music, but then I feel like, well, maybe I shouldn't just listen to music. I want to catch up on podcasts. So there are certain podcasts I listen to. Uh, I might, you know, be doing an email uh, or writing a blog. And a couple of years ago, Jason Bretzman saw me at Summer Spark and I was like pacing in this room and he's like, what are you doing? Because I was talking in my phone. I said, I'm writing a blog. And he said, what do you mean? I said, just using the audio, the voice. Yep, yep. And that is huge for me. I mean, that Gigantic. is a really I've amazing. been doing that too. And it's yeah. it's a game changer. It is. John, John Meehan mentioned that on the podcast uh, a month or two ago. And okay. since then, like I'm writing a book and I'm not near enough done. And, right. and it's like, it changed everything for me to be able to like just speak. And then I can go back and edit it later. Yeah. But. But talking the words has helped. It's, it's, it's huge. It is. And, um, you know, like last year when I was doing a lot of the different writing, sometimes I would just open up and I might have, you know, your brain just goes all, all over the place. But I would go walk in the neighborhood for an hour and I'd come back and I'd have you know, different parts of different blogs or whatever. And it, it was sometimes like two or 3,000 words. Granted, you have to really go through carefully and be yeah. like, what was I actually saying here that rhymes with? <laughs> um, but you know, as opposed to sitting down and typing it and writing it and all of that. So that type of thing, um, 
you know, just the learning because there's so many opportunities for us to learn on the go now. It's not like you actually have to go and sit somewhere. You know, you can be sitting at home watching a webinar and reading a blog because we all multitask. I mean, whether or not we're effective at that, <laughs> we know, but just trying to catch up and do a little bit every single day um, or have a routine. You know, when I get up every morning, I set aside like a good 30 minutes to just read. So I've been trying to read one book every week and just keep that going. Um, nice. I read the book, Stillness is the Key. Glenn Robbins had given that to um, speakers. We spoke at the Rewire conference back in October and I finished reading a couple of weeks ago. And it really is a good reminder of like making that time and having some quiet and just being still. Um, so it came at a good time for me to read that, but it is hard to find balance and to kind of stop when you get that momentum going. Yeah. So speaking of stopping, um, this is something I struggle with a lot and, and I think maybe, maybe you can give me and uh, our listeners some advice on this. Um, the, the idea of saying no has, has come up a lot for me. Um, I, I was with um, Jennifer, um, our mutual friend, Jennifer Cassatod in mm-hmm. Halifax a couple of weeks ago. And we spend a lot of time talking about saying no to more things um, because you want to be really, uh, well, for me, it's because I want to be effective, really effective at the things that I really wanted to do. But I, I find that the last year or so I've said yes to almost everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's starting, it's just starting to wear me out. Um, so I'm thinking a lot about how I can say no more and what I say no to. Um, uh, because obviously there are lots of really cool opportunities that come up when you write books and you do a lot of speaking and, and, uh, the blogging, you get asked, uh, to, to be pulled in a lot of different directions. So, um, what are your thoughts about, you know, what you say no to what you're saying yes to these days and, and why, and kind of, um, uh, that, that sort of thought process. I'd be interested in, in, in hearing your ideas there. <laughs> yeah. I think I need to hear some ideas too. Uh, <laughs> some advice. we can collaborate, yeah. but, um, but it is tough because, you know, I, I really do like helping people and, and I'm, you know, for many years, I, I wasn't a person that people reached out to, to ask for, because I really was, I was just doing my job and I was just focusing on what I needed to focus on. Um, but now I, I do get, you know, emails or DMs and the same as you, and we all do, we get a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And I think, and it's hard again to do this, but I really have to look at what it is and the time commitment and, and kind of weigh that against the other commitments that I have and who they're to, you know, um, something, you know, I probably get anywhere from 10 to 15 emails a day on most days that are asking for, you know, to read over something or to give 15, 20 minutes for a call or something like that. And, you know, 15, 20 minutes, it doesn't seem like that much time, but whenever you have like seven or eight of those 15, 20 minutes in the same mm-hmm. day, it's it is. Day. And I've, in some cases, what I've done is I've said, you know, I, I can't really do this right now. I'm interested in it. You know, could you, could you follow up with me and I'll look at my calendar and I'll find where I have like a bigger window of time and I'll say, I'd be happy to look at it. I just, right now I have these other projects and demands on my time, um, or I'm way behind on a deadline, you know, like you know that feeling, right. And say, mm-hmm. please follow up with me because I don't want to, I, I don't think that I can just flat out say no, um, without at least giving the time to look at what it is, or even just quickly, you know, I might just glance at something and say, Hey, you know, here's my quick thoughts. Um, you know, if you want to follow up with me again in a couple of weeks, you know, please do. But right now I'm kind of, 
you know, and I'm honest, like I kind of overwhelmed with a lot of things. Um, because you know, people then tend to know that you're not just saying like, Nope, 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 not going to do it, but you have other things going on too. And so I think maybe that's part of part of it. So it's not like maybe no for now, or it's another one of the, like, not yet, like saying no, just not yet. So Rochelle, you run and participate in so many Twitter chats. And I feel like I've learned and connected to so many people on chats, but for those teachers that are reluctant to join or fearful, what are some of the reasons why you would recommend joining in on, uh, on Twitter and actually joining the chats to get the full experience? Yeah. It's funny because for years I, I didn't want anything to do with any social media, no Facebook, definitely no Twitter. I, I completely misunderstood, you know, the value and, and that there were these mm. educators on those platforms. And so it's kind of funny. It's a story I tell all the time. Whenever I finally got my, my account on Twitter, I think it was in 2014 and I had no idea what I was doing. And I came across a hashtag. It was Wiley Ed Chat. And there were some people in there and I didn't know where, where they were either, but they ended up being in Tennessee. And mm. so I just, here's Pennsylvania in a Tennessee chat. Just, I was like, okay, trying to figure out how to work the chat. And, um, the following year when I went to ISTE in Philly in 2015, we got to meet face to face and, but we'd uh. already built that relationship, you know, over mm. the prior six, seven months and having that first experience, like, and there were a couple other chats I was in. I was doing, um, I think at the time it was, was it sat? I think it was the West coast chat. I was like sat chat WC. And so I was doing that on Saturdays and, um, I did T lap and I think one or two more totally not getting it, but still amazed at just kind of looking at the conversations. Now people were kind of joining in. It can be overwhelming because there are some nights where there's just chats back to back. You got like three chats at the same time, but what I've recommended to people and at least what worked for me initially was finding one chat, um, connecting just in that and just kind of following along. Or maybe if you don't have, cause some of them that are an hour, that's a big time commitment too at night. So maybe setting aside 15 minutes just to check it out what the conversation is. Um, you know, there's definitely no shortage of recommendations out there. I have some that I could definitely recommend that I'm in. Sure. You know, Go ahead and drop regular. them right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> let's see. It's Monday. So I just formative chat is one that I have been doing for probably four years and I'm co-host mm. of it. So every week it's a 30 minute chat, seven 30 to eight Eastern, uh, lots of different people tonight. We had a lot of, you know, students currently in their first or second year of college studying education, special education, um, so that's always nice to get. And awesome. also some pre-service teachers coming in too. Uh, so that's always good. You got T-Lab, you got EdTech Chat, Barbara Bray has Rethink Learning. Um, mm. I mean, I could go through the whole week, you know, and then even like on the weekends, it's nice. Like Saturday mornings, there are a couple chats, they're just 30 minutes. So it's a nice way to start your day. Um, yeah, there's, you know, Jerry Cyberman Cyber has the whole list of all the chats that are out there too. Awesome. But um, I think the best advice is just to find one ask friends or just see what, you know, what's trending, pick one and just kind of follow through, get the hang of it. Um, but not do it too much to where you're like, all right, this is, I can't, it's too much to handle. Like just for a set period of time, just to see how quickly you can learn and connect. So first of all, congratulations from both of us about your new book. Uh, the you. future is now, and I really enjoy your take on superheroes. And that's what I want <laughs> you to actually talk about right now and how you relate them to both educators and our students. And you state educators are superheroes. And I believe that students are superheroes as well. And you have this take on Wonder Woman and some <laughs> other things that you describe. And, uh, can you just talk a little bit about that? The, the relationship, because I've heard, 
unfortunately, the exact opposite kind mm-hmm. of take where people take offense to this. I, I, I just enjoyed your take okay. as far as how you actually see a superhero as a regular person. Mm-hmm doing extraordinary things for the good of others. You know, that's really kind of your, your interpretation. I'm sorry, I just revealed the whole no, thing. No, you but, did. But can, you, <laughs> can you talk more about kind of that whole take it in your book in general? Can you give our audience like a preview about it? And, and so that's, you know, if they're interested in purchasing, they know yeah. what this is about. Well, it's the Wonder Woman thing. Um, I mean, as a kid, you know, that's always what I was watching. I was just fascinated by like, here she is, this regular woman, and nobody knows who she is. Mm-hmm. She just like she's working, and all of a sudden she just goes and takes care of, you know, whatever it is that needs to be taken care of or whoever needs to be rescued. And when I was was writing that, um, and I actually came across a sketch note uh, by Sylvia Duckworth a couple of years ago, and it was about superheroes. And so I started to kind of piece these thoughts together. And I mean, for me, you know, some of my students, I think they're superheroes because. Mm-hmm. Having those relationships and the connections I made with them completely pulled me out of that isolated experience and showed me, you know, to, to be, I guess, gave me the courage to be a little bit, I guess, braver, take some risks mm. because for years, you know, and, and you're a language teacher too. We want our students to stand up in front of the room and like do a presentation. And it's like, what do you mean you don't want to present in front of, these are your classmates. And yeah. one year there were these seventh graders that came into a teacher PD session and they stood up in the front of the room and they were presenting. And I remember sitting there thinking, and I've written about this too, like, oh my gosh, like I would not want to stand in the front of my peers. And I, I stayed away from that as, as much as I could. I'm like, nope, I'll stick the post notes up. I'll pass the papers. I'm not speaking. And that was like the first moment for me where I thought like, you know what? I'm asking them to do things I would not do myself. Mm-hmm. And just like all of that kind of together gave me the courage to start stepping out. But it was by seeing what these students were doing who were just putting themselves out there. And, you know, yeah, like you say about the superheroes, there can be that like that negative part of it. But I really do think, you know, it's the people that just kind of step in when they need to. It's not like they're asked. It's not like um, they want anything from it. I mean, that's my perception of it, of what yes. I what I consider it to be. And you just kind of like just pick something up or help somebody out. And then you just keep going where you were going. And it's not necessarily like you don't necessarily have some great costume, although that'd be kind of cool. <laughs> I mean, not going to lie. I, I do have some Wonder Woman things like bracelets right now, but um, you just go about your, your business. And I think that it's just like an innate characteristic or quality that you have, that you have this power that could be considered like a superhero for whatever your strength is. that's helping to lift others up. Mm, love that. So, I just took a look on while well, you were talking on the FETC website, and you're so. I mean, this is insane. First off, you're doing you're doing ten <laughs> sessions and a and like Glenn's Glenn's muted and he's laughing. Holy. You're doing yeah. you're doing That's ten insane. you're doing ten sessions and a book signing. Yeah, and there's there are some things that are not even listed in there right now. <laughs> so first off, you're a psychopath. Second, <gasps> is second, <it>? second <laughs> off, in a good I'm, way. No, in the best possible <laughs> way. Yeah, yes. Yeah. I, I, um, the, and all of these sound incredibly interesting. 
uh, I uh, just before I left the classroom, actually, I was doing a lot of work with infographics mm-hmm. uh, and giant, big, big graphic design projects uh, with information and data on them. I, I loved talking about that stuff with my kids. And you're doing a session on infographics, so I might actually swing by and, and take a look at that. Um, but I would love um, to to hear a little bit more about any of these that you're like really geeked up about um, and and. You know, give 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 someone a, a sell your sessions. Let's <laughs> let's talk about let's talk about these and 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 uh, and get some people to come out because I think you're doing some really cool stuff at FETC. Thanks. Yeah, the schedule is um, it's it's a little overwhelming um, how that happened, but and it's interesting the types of sessions too because I do have like the artificial intelligence and the ARVR and then the infographics and um some on Nearpod and I'm doing a sandbox an ARVR sandbox with Jamie Donnelly for a couple hours on that Wednesday but what I, I mean, the things that I share are things that most of which that I've done in my classroom, um, in my STEAM course with my eighth graders, some of it also in my Spanish classes, because a couple of years ago, my Spanish two students were like, Hey, how come we don't ever get to do this? Like augmented virtual reality, cool stuff like the eighth graders do. And I didn't have an answer for that. I'm like, I, I don't know. I didn't really ever think about it. So they're like, okay, we need to do this. And, um, what I found is we did a project using co-spaces and just, I didn't really know what I was doing with them because I'd never used it in Spanish class, but I got this project together. They, they collaborated. And aside from, you know, creating something that was cool, like the eighth graders at that time, I was amazed that a year later that those students remembered the content, the grammar and all of the stuff because it was dealing like narrating a past tense where in Spanish you have the two mm. different past tenses and the fact that they could collaborate and work on the same project. And, you know, I saw them building their collaborative, the collaboration skills, you know, social emotional learning was in there, digital citizenship. Um, it was more meaningful and authentic because they're creating, but then being able to look for different things to put into their project and attach the Spanish word or the meaning um, and do all of those other things. Like they built so many skills in that, but the recall on it, I was like, why wasn't I doing this before? So mm. a lot of the things that I present in my sessions are, um, you know, my stories, but it's actual the student work or some of it started as my idea. Like, Hey, here's one way we can use this tool. But over the time that we've used it, in my class students have come up with some really great ideas for using it. A lot of which came about by, I said, well, you know what? I don't really, whatever you want to create is fine. Crossing my fingers <laughs> like mm-hmm. went well, but you want to give them choices. But then, you know, things that I thought, oh my gosh, I never thought of that. You know, I'd have students come in and say, Hey, I made my Nearpod lesson or I, I did my Buncee. And I'm like, what do you mean? And they said, did I do it wrong? And I said, well, I'm not really sure what you did. And so to do like a verb lesson or to do a presentation for project-based learning, these students just decided to use those tools, which we had used collectively um, before to make their own project independently. And like, that was not anything that I had ever thought of offering. And so being able to say, Hey, you know, having skills in something like PowerPoint is great, but if a student can take something that's like a multimedia tool and put all of these different components in it, you know, that is going to be a skill that they're going to need moving forward. So, you know, my sessions, I give, you know, a lot of practical ideas. I show a lot of examples, tons of resources available. Cause I mean, I, I always say like, I may not know all the answers cause I'm not an expert. I'm just somebody that really likes to do a lot of this mm-hmm. stuff, but, um, 
you know, so I share and, and as often as I can, I get Jamie to come in or, you know, I go in Jamie sessions too, because with me in the classroom and she's just amazing when it comes to the AR VR mm-hmm. to be able to go back and forth. So because in our, you know, the people that come into our sessions, it's not specific to like elementary, middle, higher education or a specific role. Like I can find sometimes with the help of the people there, uh, ways to make a connection that somebody, I mean, everybody can walk away with something to you. So that's, you know, most important for me. And then like the infographics mm-hmm. one is, you know, more than just like one type of thing that you create, like what are the different ways we can use this and how do they build, you know, help students to build the skills for the future, which, you know, I'm still learning as I go is what I always say, trying to brainstorm new ideas. So I like having a mix of sessions just because I get to do so many different things with my students. And I just like to share what they do. I mean, if it weren't for them, I would be that teacher kept in my room (laughs) for many years ago. So Rochelle, how can people connect with you, learn more about you, find your book to be able to go ahead and purchase? Uh, tell us anything that's as far as connection. All right. Well, I am very consistent when it comes to all of the handles and everything. So on Twitter, Instagram, uh, my email, if you add the Gmail, it's always R-D-E-N-E-915, which is very predictable first name or first initial middle name birthday, but, uh, not, nobody needs to send any gifts or anything like that. So no worries, but I do have a blog site too. So same thing. It's Arjuna915. As far as books, they are, um, on Amazon. I actually have my newest one is coming out this Friday the 13th that I picked as my <laughs> launch date because it's called unconventional. Um, and that has a lot of great, well, I say great ideas, but it has a lot of ideas, not just yeah. mine, but I, I gathered some examples from some of my educator friends, like of what the projects look like in their classrooms at different levels. Uh, they're all available on Amazon, the ones from EduMatch are on EduMatch. Um, awesome. I have a shortened link. It's like the bit.ly and it's just both books. And that was Put like, books. luckily that was not taken. <laughs> got it. <laughs> Takes you right there. But yeah, thanks. So FETC 2020 is in Miami in January, and you can learn about uh, Rochelle's sessions and uh, still, um, you know, register to to attend at FETC.org. Thanks for joining us. This was awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to On Education. My name is Glenn Irvin. My co-host is Mike Washburn. On Education is part of the Education Podcast Network. You can listen to this show and many others by great educators like Jennifer Gonzalez, Matt Miller, and many more by visiting edupodcastnetwork.com. Want to get in touch with us? Check out our website at oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at oneducationpod. Mike is at Mr. Washburn on Twitter, and I can be found at Irv Spanish. You can find us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash oneducationpod. We're also on Instagram at oneducationpod. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we would be thrilled if you shared it with them. Please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or the Google Play Store. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost. This helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Classcraft, for supporting us. Check out classcraft.com slash oneducation to learn more about them. Thanks as always for listening. Stay awesome and see you soon.